movies. They get more like television every day. <laughs> this is the Critics Corner for June 4th, 1982. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I say barf blech boo to Montalban. What's with that breastplate, Ricardo? Maybe it's a fantasy left over from the island. I heard that when they offered you a chest hair option, you said, I preferred the plane, the plane. You must be a TV star, because the only place those pecs belong is on the boob tube. Anyway, the movie is good. With Hanky Panky, I got cranky, cause Radner's lanky and Wilder's janky. But if there's no spanky, I say no thanky to Hanky Panky. But Richard Widmark was pretty hot. As for the third of the week's major releases, I must recuse myself from offering a review, as I am one of the film's stars. That's right, I, Gene Shalit, appear fleetingly on a television screen during a pivotal scene in Poultry Guys. You know, when they told me I'd be appearing in a movie called Poultry Guys, I thought, finally, Frank Perdue and I have been looking for a project to do for quite some time now. Then they said, I don't think you heard me right. And I said, well, whose fault is that? And then they said, it's nobody's fault. And I'm like, speak into the mustache. And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. Speak into the mustache, I says. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 77 of Opening Weekend. Ah, why not? That's what I say about that cold open. Why not? And as I was doing it, I kept thinking, no, no, late Gilbert Gottfried, not Gene Shalit. Late Gilbert Gottfried. It really tends to head towards late Gilbert Gottfried. But it was Gene Shalit. I'm Jason O'Connell. And I am joined by my dear, dear friends, Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week we travel back to, well, you heard Gene say it, Gene slash Gilbert, just moments ago, <laughs> June 4th, 1982. And the 40th anniversary of that weekend's releases, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, starring William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and Ricardo Montalban, Poltergeist, starring Jo Beth Williams and Craig T. Nelson, and Hanky Panky, the film on which Gene Wilder met his future wife, Gilda Radner. But before we dive into the week's movies, Fred and Dan, where were you whippersnappers in June of 1982? I was in fourth grade. Is that right? Were you in fifth yes, grade, Jason? I was in fifth. So I yes. was in fourth grade in Mrs. Kennelly's class. This was a, this was a year of controversy. Oh, there's controversy. What? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, there was also there's some good stuff too. I was thinking about the music of this year. Holy smokes, Jay Giles centerfold freeze frame. Ooh. I have the Tiger Baby. Yes. Eddie Money. <laughs> Ebony and Ivory. <gasps> Ebony and Ivory. Harmony. John Cougar Mellencamp was not not even John Cougar, Cougar Mellencamp. John Cougar. He was just was, John Cougar at this time. Was flying up the charts. 
Pac-Man okay. Fever, which we've spoken about. <laughs> Many times. Uh, I just remember my house being filled with 45s, you know, because my dad, uh-huh. being a band leader, had to learn all these songs for all the parties. But I just remember, God, there was just so much. Uh, just the music. It was infectious. Now, did you? Now, yeah. Islands in the Stream, that was this year too, I believe. And I have been in this business 52 years, and I will... Swear to God, I have been in this business 52 years and I will for some reason and I don't know why I have been in this business 52 years and I will speak it to the mustache I says kept thinking that I have the tiger and islands in the stream was the same song and I don't know why <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why that was I remember and I don't know, I can't, I swear to Christ, I can't tell you why it was, but I remember somebody talking about- Kenny Rogers had the eye of the tigers. He was staring at Dolly Parton's islands Yeah, I don't know why the fuck I thought islands in the stream and eye of the tiger. I have no idea. It's the eye. It's literally just the first syllable. I, I, I. Made me think, I, oh. I. Islands in the stream, that is what we are. The big joke running around fourth grade in Mrs. Kennelly's class that year was, what do you call it when Dolly Parton lies back in the bathtub? Yes. Islands, oh, in, islands the in the stream. Oh, yes. that's very yes. clever. <laughs> you could have said the same thing about Mr. T, which is why you may have been confused, Jason. I, 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 I. There was some controversy this year. Um, some funny, others not so funny. And this is mm. this is where we become a very special episode of opening weekend. This oh, was my shit. first taste of anti-Semitism in, oh, in no. fourth grade. I don't want I don't want to bring things down or bring things dark. But uh yeah. Was it Porkies? Was it those those scenes in Porkies that were <laughs> exactly oh, no. yeah With Scott Columbia? They hit too close to home. No, no it was very strange, no. you know, where where I grew up in, in Manhasset. And and I think I, I I had a really, you know, nice upbringing where, you know, Manhasset was a lovely town. I, I didn't really want for anything. I mean, I know you guys like to joke that we were, you know, the rich country club dwellers, but you know, we were like the middle class family, but you know, it was a lovely place to grow up. But I think I, whenever I think about where I grew up, I always, I always got a bad taste in my mouth. I'm always like, eh, eh, Manhasset, mm. eh, eh, eh. and I think it stems, it goes back to these incidents, even though they were so long ago, but I just remember I was talking to my friend Josh about this and he reminded me of this, that like suddenly one day, it must've been some kids heard their parents talking or something, but suddenly we mm. walked into school and there weren't that many Jewish kids in the school that we went to in Munsey Park. Suddenly they knew Jewish jokes and they were like throwing pennies at Josh and they were like, oh, you know, drawing graffiti. And I remember my mom had to go down to the school because someone had, drew, you know, written anti-Semitic graffiti in front of the school and no one got what? rid of it. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, my mom went down there and like demanded like, you know, how come, why is this still here? Why hasn't yes. this been removed yet? Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was really weird. Like I just, I always remember walking to the schoolyard and it, you just felt the turn. You felt there was something. Wow. I remember walking in before school and there was like this dark feeling and they were all, not all, but like a bunch of kids were like taunting Josh about it. And I was like, what's going on? And I didn't, I didn't really, 
I knew something wasn't right. And they weren't really ganging up on me yet. But it started, it was just like this pervasive thing. And then just as quickly, it sort of went away. But, Gosh. or maybe it didn't. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't aware. But it was it was the first time where I, I really felt, you you, you oh, we're, I'm different. You know, there's something. Mm. And it was, and I never felt that before. And it was, it was a really... I, I, that's all I can say is like when I, I remember walking through the gates of the schoolyard and I just felt a turn, something mm. had turned, something had changed, you know? And I remember like one kid, like, you know, in the cafeteria was like, yeah, call, call Fred, call, call him a Jewish hot dog. Call him a Jew. And I don't think they necessarily knew. A Jewish hot dog. What is it? What do they mean? What is that? I think they, they what didn't. I, what I'm saying is Hebrew national. Yeah, like Hebrew national. Oh, you know, like they didn't know, but they probably heard something. Again, I don't even know. Maybe they heard something from their yeah, parents. Sure. Uh, you know, or something on TV. But it was, it was strange. And then, like I said, it sort of went away. But it just always, it sort of stayed there. It was like this cloud that hovered over. Um, mm. But. But then on the, uh, you know, the, the not so dark side, but still controversial around this time, they had a talent show. And uh, so it was me, Josh, this guy, Chris Young and someone else. And I can't remember who the fourth person was, but we did we did a, a little number called School Lightning. And it was based <laughs> on Grease Lightning. Right? No, really? <laughs> and we got up and we dressed like greasers. And it was a, uh, it was like, we got oh some God. papers and pencils and a desk and chair. Oh, yeah. We'll do oh, our homework oh, and we'll comb our hair. What? Oh, yeah. There was an wow. aide. My next door neighbor, Mrs. Majeezy, was a school aide there. And it was like, <laughs> when Majeezy says go, you know it's OO or something. I don't know. Majeezy. <laughs> but so we did, we did this act and we felt so good about it. Wasn't Weezy. that George Jefferson's wife's name? That was Wheezy, not Majeezy. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Wasn't he the mayor of Burger Town? Majeezy. That was a, that was an uncomfortable thing too oh, because God. Mrs. Majeezy, <laughs> Mayor McDee. Yeah, no, <laughs> he wasn't. He looked. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of yeah. Irish uh, anti-Irish sentiment. There was. Well, he's a <laughs> hamburger wearing a suit. Wouldn't you be uncomfortable? <laughs> and a sash. <laughs> no, I'm Mrs. Majeezy, the school aide, was my next door neighbor. Oh, so, Majeezy. Oh, so I can never yeah. like mess she around. Lived next to you. She lived next door to me. So it was like oh, anytime like all the watching. other kids were like messing around, I was like, I don't want to get caught by Mrs. Majeezy because she lives next door to me. And she'd always be like, Freddie, I see you. And I'm like, ah, oh, God damn it. Because she That's was friends creepy. with my mom. You've That's been Majeezed. Man, I done been Majeezied. Yeah. Um, but, I think his best movie was Charlie's Angels. Oh, that's McGee. That's McGee. I'm so sorry. This is McGeezy. So sorry. So we did our school lightning skit and we were so proud of ourselves. Here's the thing. I ended up getting punched in the stomach for it because what? by Mrs. McGeezy. She was like, don't you, no. don't you fucking talk about me in that song. Imagine. Don't imagine. you now. No, because. Wait, wait. About a year or two before, these older kids who were in sixth grade, so we were in fourth grade and they were in sixth grade, so they were, they were, 
you know, it was the, it was the year earlier when they did it. And I'm friends with them now is this guy, Jim Harris and Mike Rovner. And there are two other kids. Again, they did something similar. They did like a spoof of a song. So we, we did, we did middle school dropout. <laughs> what are you doing? Middle school dropout. You're doing all these things. <laughs> These Greece school songs. Ours was clearly the logical parody. School's in the title. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Well, they were happy about it. Get your stomach ready to be punched. (laughs) It wasn't them, but like some, some of their, some goon. Actually, I know exactly who it was. It was this kid. What was his name? I think Michael Wright. So I had a kid, I had a friend in my grade named Danny Wright and it was his brother. And I remember he like came up to me and he like, as we were leaving school and I was, I remember being so happy. It was the last day of school or it was, it was getting towards the end of school. And we just did yeah. this great, like, you know, uh, you know, joyous performance and everyone loved it. And he's like, you copied them from last year. Uh, and he punched me in the stomach. And I remember lying there, catching my breath, being like, sixth graders suck. I screamed it to the heavens. (laughs) Screamed it to the heavens. Sixth graders suck. And yeah, but Josh is convinced that that was also, that might've been born out of anti-Semitism as well. Because if if the other kids had done school lightning, they would have been okay with it. I don't know. That might be a bridge too far, but it was- well, uh, But it's a logical place for your brain to go when you're course. like, we just, we've been getting taunted and made fun of, and now we're getting punched for something, right. you know, an innocuous song parody yeah. at the school yeah. talent show. I don't yeah. know. That's- I mean, they weren't, they weren't offended by Jeff Conaway singing, <laughs> so they were offended by you. I mean, come on. Give me a break. Pick, pick your battles, people. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm, terrible. <laughs> so you were fourth, so I was third? Yeah. Okay. But we, are we are we done with, is school, is it done at this point? No, we're getting there. No. It's the it's last month. a couple more we're, weeks. We're feeling it. We can feel it coming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would I have gone to, is Epcot open by this time? Because somewhere in here yes. we go to Epcot, and it's the, and it's the first, it's the beginning of Epcot. Yeah, I think, I think Epcot was open at this point, because I think I, I went- think. I think I went a year or two prior. Oh, okay. Well, one of these years in here, we do Epcot and that's, it's either 82 or 83. Maybe we'll have to look and see, but, but, um, that was unbelievable. I mean, that was like, oh my God, we're in a futuristic wonder world. You were in the universe and, of energy. Uh, here, here we go. Here we go. go. To the universe, the universe of energy. energy. This is this is this golden year. I'm sure you're going to talk about it, Jay. This is the golden movie year, right? It like is that, that they yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. like it gets like yes, a lot of a, like, yeah. The summer of '82 is yeah, huge, especially for genre stuff. Sci-fi. Because this was right when ET stuff. came out. Like we talked about this in another e. episode. ET e. comes like out e. the following yeah. week. One of your favorites, Freddy, Blade Runner, Tron is this year. The yeah. Thing, The yeah. Road Warrior, Star Trek Two, Rocky Three. Yeah. yeah. Poltergeist. That was my birthday theme movie, Rocky uh, Three, this year. As you know, we oh, talked okay. about that. Oh, that came out of your birthday. Fast Times, Annie, Blade Runner, Officer and a Gentleman, which was my personal favorite at this time. I've never seen it. You've never seen Officer <laughs> oh, and a Gentleman? Yeah. It's I've good. Never seen it's it. good. I've never seen it. That movie titillated me as a kid around this time when it was on cable. Yeah, I saw there were things good. in that movie that I'd never seen before. Because of Richard Gere? Yeah, this is one of those years that's like, you, you kind of- yeah. You th- you think about this as one of the one of the great movie years. Conan, mm-hmm. Conan yeah, comes out right. this year. Crom, um, but Tron, but you know, I was not 
into Star Trek yet. Oh, you weren't? No. I no, wow. I was way too young. I was way too young for it. I didn't get into Star Trek till much, much, much later, like high school and then into college is mm. when I started getting because I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was what was happening. I do remember yeah, my my, my grandmother um, who lived with us, you know, whenever the first time Star Trek the motion picture came on television, she was like, Oh, your Star Wars is on. Oh, you I was like, on TV? Yes, yes, it's on right now. It's on tonight. And then I sat down to watch with her Star Trek, the motion picture, and I was like, this is not Star Wars, but I don't want to make her feel bad. She thinks I enjoy this and just slogged through that because I had no idea what was happening. I didn't know who the scary guy with the pointy ears was. Just terrible. Maybe it's not terrible, but I, I, it was, I've fallen asleep in the movies twice in my life. (laughs) I think I've told you this. The first time Monkey Bone was no Star Trek, the motion picture. When I was in third grade, I had never fallen asleep in a movie before. And I was like, I was like, that's weird. Yeah. The next time was exactly 10 years later at Star Trek five, the final from I'm like an 18 year old going to the movies. I mean, it was like the opening night, big summer movies. You know, that was Indiana. Talk about a great movie year. 82, 84, yeah. 89, all really big year. And that was like summer of Ghostbusters 2, Batman, Last Crusade. And I was real invested in the movies that summer. And I had loved Star Trek 2, 3, and 4. Yes. And was very excited for 5. And I fell the fuck asleep. I was like, what am I, an old man? I get it when I was like 7 that I fell asleep in that one. I was like, wow. But also the first one was real. I mean, I saw the first one in the movie theaters as well. And I just remember being... I was so Just, bored and confused and bored so and confused. Yeah. And, well, the whole time you're going, who's this bald lady? Yeah. my wife's name out your fucking mouth. This movie summer was the summer of, oh, death is a thing. Oh, mortality. Mm, but because I, yeah. It was yeah. Star Trek two and E.T. I remember being both being like things where I was like, really like, mm. wow, like sitting in a movie theater, like having to have uncomfortable thoughts and feelings about about death and mortality in both yeah. of those movies and especially with et my especially God. with the et was the movie where i cried so hard i got a stomach ache i cried i don't remember if no. i cried during star trek 2 but i was i probably did a little bit but i was just hmm. very it was heavy it was heavy yeah. um the thing i remember talking about I, <laughs> islands in the stream and eye of the tiger i think <laughs> i think what? I think it was that I thought uh, Island the Tiger. I thought it was Island the Tiger. What the fuck are you talking about? And you know I'm not very knowledgeable about music and uh, the the rock and roll. Uh, <laughs> the rock of, and of our youth. roll. Uh, anyway, but we uh, so we have music, you know, music class, whatever fifth grade. You have music class, and the assignment. Oof, the assignment was bring in, bring in your favorite, uh, your favorite record. Bringing your favorite record, your favorite song, your favorite single, and we'll play it in class on the record player. And then we will uh, talk about it. And you have to write out all the lyrics on carbon paper. Do you oh, remember I that? Remember so you could run paper? it through the. Of course. I remember you had to like, you had to like, you had the, they gave you the sheet of carbon paper to take home and you wrote the lyrics. And then they took that and made the, the mimeographs or the Xerox. I don't even know if it was called Xerox yet, but whatever. They made Mimeo, copies yeah. for the class with all the lyrics. And you had to talk about like why the song, why you liked it, why it even meant something to you, why you thought it was a cool song, a fun song, whatever. And you talk about Jay Giles band, Centerfold. One kid did Centerfold was wow. like, this is my, in fifth grade, this is my wow. favorite song. And here's why. And I was like, yeah, we know why. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But so, you know, so everybody brought in 
a record of their song. And I was trying, I was like, what's the coolest thing I can think of? What is the cool? And I remember my dad, you know, we only saw my dad infrequently on the weekends. He'd come and he had only country music tapes in his car and stuff like that. And he had uh, a lot of Kenny Rogers in of his course. Sorry, sure. He had the Kenny Rogers greatest hits and all these things. And so that's what we would listen to when we would go out to lunch with them. But it was like the most contemporary thing we were listening to as kids. It was like, you know, mm-hmm. my grandfather's car, it's all like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin and my dad's car. At least it was Kenny Rogers. So I was like, all right, yeah. you know, I'm, and he had a lot of crossover hits that would just play on the regular. Oh, radio. Yeah. Well, yeah. the fucking gambler, the gambler. So, yeah. Yeah. no one to hold Hello. him. Right. No one to show right. him. Every <laughs> student brought in. <laughs> Van Halen, Jay Gosman, Billy Joel, blah, 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 yes. Elton John, whatever. No, not a, no, no country of any kind and no old fucking fart <laughs> Kenny Rogers music. So I'm like, The Gambler is the only song I can think of that I kind of know the lyrics to and I can talk about a little bit and what happens in it. It has a story. And then, and then you're supposed to, and they were like, um, Okay, so you have to bring in the record. And we all had like days assigned to like do this shit. And I was already very unpopular. Uh, and uh, and I was like, um, I don't have the record. I don't have a record. Uh, and they were like, well, what do you have? I was like, I have the I have an eight track tape oh, of Kenny Rogers greatest hits. And they were like, well, we don't have an eight track. But like it was already like <laughs> that technology was dead. Right. So please they were like sang it for the class. No. So they were like, well, you'll have to bring it if you want to play the song. for the class, You have to bring in an eight track player. <laughs> so I'm fifth grade. Oh, no. 10, 11 years old now at this point. Eleven. And I was the only eight track player I had to bring in was two XL. I knew it. I knew the eight track tape playing robot. I was already hideously unpopular. Uh, had no taste in music. Did not know anything about music. And then I have to say, my favorite song is "The Gambler," and I'm going to play it on an eight track. A you, have you, robot. on a toy robot from second grade? <laughs> That has stood the test of time and been my music player. <laughs> I love these several years. You were a gambler. You were, you were gambling. I was g- gambling with my fucking life. I mean, it was, I was so, the hot, hot embarrassment. Just the, like, and the laughter when I pull out a robot oh and then God. play the fucking gambler. He handed him my, my bottle. He drank down my last swallow. Oh. <laughs> you know, kind of no one to hold. People, the kids are As like, what the fuck eyes are lighting up. <laughs> yeah. with the rhythm of it the music. was like, it was just misery. It was misery. Oh, you needed a little bit more hanky panky in your life back then. I did. Who I didn't? needed to. I needed to jazz it up. Yeah, a little bit of hanky panky, oh, right? Hanky panky. Although Miss yeah. Mcheesy would come by and say, "You stop that hanky panky." Hanky panky. Yeah, you could have called what I had suffered that day hanky panky, and it would be incorrect. It would not be the definition of hanky panky. But neither would anything that happens in the film hanky panky. What a fucking horrible title for this fucking piece of shit. <laughs> When you're wanted for a murder you didn't commit. Oh, hold it! You know, things like this don't happen to me. I don't even get parking tickets. Chased for secrets you didn't steal. Get a load of the nut in the bathroom. That is the nut, Jimmy. That's the Jordan guy. Hold it! And running from people who want to kill you. The worst mistake you can make is falling in love. Meet Michael Jordan. 
and his mistake. During a trip to New York City, Chicago architect Michael Jordan, played by the opposite of Michael Jordan, (laughs) (laughs) which has scientifically been determined to be Gene Wilder, (laughs) takes a cab with a stranger, Sarah, played by Twilight Zone the movie's Kathleen Quinlan, and is talked into mailing a package for her. But Michael doesn't know the package contains secret military documents, and when Sarah is murdered, he becomes a suspect, pursued by cops and the evil Richard Widmark. On the run, he meets Kate, played by Gilda Radner, whose brother's death was somehow connected to the package. She helps him evade the cops, but Widmark and his lackeys prove harder to shake. Hanky Panky's misleading title and marketing campaign suggest a sex farce that never materializes, but a casting shakeup during pre-production led to one of the great Hollywood love stories when Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner met on set and fell in love. Curiously, Radner's role was originally meant to be played by Wilder's other great love, Richard Pryor. Hanky Panky he was, and then he turned it down. Hanky Panky was directed by Sidney Poitier, for God's sake, who saw that coming, and opened with $3.6 million on its way to a total box office of just $9.8 million. Fred and Dan, what do you guys think? Of hanky panky. Well, you know, when you describe it, when you just went through the plot points, mm-hmm. it sounds like a decent movie. Like it could be good. Like you're describing it, I'm thinking, oh, this is like, uh, you know, like late '80s Tom Hanks fair. Like I could see Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, you know, mm-hmm. and and Gilda Rand or Meg Ryan. Like it just seems like it could be sort of a fun, you know, like you know, guileless schmuck gets caught up in this cra- and and. Even the way the movie starts, for, yeah, first of all, when I saw Sidney Poitier's name, I was like, wait, what? I yelped out yeah, loud. Yeah, I was like, that wow. Was that's an incre- that was an incredibly surprising <laughs> yeah. moment, and it happens right at the in the What what, um, what movies can you say that about? The credits are flabbergasted. Yeah. I had no idea <laughs> no I that he was attached to this and directed it. And it starts, it's a pretty crazy opening, and I mean, it feels like, it, 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 there's almost like this Hitchcock thing about it in the beginning. You don't ding, really ding ding ding, yeah. ding ding ding. So that's what they're trying to do. That's what they're going for. And it, it's, I just don't think they knew what they wanted. They they have, they have like a pretty straightforward what could be a thriller, almost in the in 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 like um I don't know why I just thought of that movie No Way Out with Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. like that yeah. feel where yeah. it's like the, the the protagonist has just got to stay one step ahead, you know, trying to figure out what is going on. The problem is, and I hate to say it, but unfortunately I have to say it. The problem is, to my mind, it's Gene Wilder who we love, yeah. and we discovered that you know with Woman in Red. Just, I don't know, I don't know what it is where he goes wrong, but because he's so wonderful in so many roles and so many movies, but when he's just off a little bit, when it's like, yeah. it, 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 it just didn't work. And it's the first, I love, I love the Gene Wilder scream. It's one of my favorite yes. things in the world when he's screaming yes. and the producers, oh, there's nothing better than that. And young, I love that scream. <laughs> I just kept thinking, stop screaming, Gene Wilder, stop screaming. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if he thought, well, okay, I'm going to, 
I have to turn this into a comedy. Just nothing seemed truthful in his performance. He just seemed like he was always going for the joke and for, for like, you know, the bit, which seems, which is, yeah. it's, it was so strange to me because that's, that's not Gene Wilder. What, you know, what, what, what makes Gene Wilder so great in Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles and the producers and all the movies that he's great in. And even Bonnie and Clyde, I was just watching the other day, like he plays it so straight, you know, yeah. and it, it just, this just seemed like they were trying to make bits and maybe it was because of, cause I'd read that as well, that this was supposed to be the follow up to stir crazy. And yeah. maybe that's what it was that he was, you know, like, I, I want that back. What I had with Richard Pryor. I don't know. Sure. It just threw it all off. And then when Gilda showed up, well, it was funny Oof. when she showed up, I was completely confused. Nothing made sense. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I don't buy what she's doing at all. I don't buy the character. No. It doesn't. And then I, then there was sort of the twist where you find it that she's lying, that she's lying yeah. about her whole story. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that makes a little bit more sense. It doesn't but follow it doesn't. through. But it doesn't. And then it, it just got it annoying. It doesn't make her anymore. And I just thought um, after, that, after the plane scene, I just sort of tuned Bro. out. The plane scene was so annoying and stupid and I just didn't care anymore. And it, it, it yeah, it was just a strange it's movie. So, and I just, and I hate yeah. to say, but I feel like it was Wilder who sort of brought it down. It's like you brought in a, a you know, a, a plumber to build your roof or something. I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. it's the wrong man for the job. And then she, you know, it's funny that it's like they met here and they fell in love because there's no chemistry. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's not, there's not. And you're like, and you're like, if you didn't know that she was such a brilliant comedian in Saturday Night Live, you'd be like, who, who is this person and what is she doing here? I mean, because she does not, she doesn't really have anything to do and she's not, she doesn't feel believable. No, like like she seemed like a bad actor in this and I don't think she is obviously, but I, but she felt like not a good actor, but I can't think of anything I've ever seen her in where she wasn't playing broad comedy except for this. And maybe that's not, in her wheelhouse. That's what I mean. It just feels like it was like poorly cast. And I guess it is the, you know, Silver Streak and Stir Crazy had kind of, you know, some darker, more adventurous, more uh, uh, thriller-like, mystery-like underpinnings to them. And Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor had acquitted themselves well together in those. And so it, yes, this would make sense probably as a follow-up for them. Um, because of that chemistry and because of what they had established and what you're um, you're you're hearkening back to when you see them together. But once one of them says no, and then you pay, you know, it, then it just is like, oh, it's it's not two comedians who've done this before who maybe they'll, you know, maybe lightning will strike again, uh, even though this is maybe not a conventional vehicle for them. It's oh, now it just feels like it's poorly cast. It's you, you took two comedians and put them in a, a Hitchcock variation. And yes, it's a gamble that doesn't pay off yeah. because they, because they aren't compelling. It, they're not committing to it in a way where you're like, Holy shit. It's like a Robin Williams or somebody where you're like, wow, I didn't realize he or she could do that with, you know, that they, that they had those reservoirs or wells within them to play a more dramatic or suspenseful kind of uh, role. And you're also not giving them the material for it to be comic. You're not giving them funny lines or scenes. There's nothing funny. Do you see it, Michael? Yeah. Do you see it? Yes. Do you see 
Yes. What is it? I see a rock. What is that? I see a rock. Crash into it. Ay, 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 ay. Whoa. It just doesn't, and I don't know now, I'm starting to think, like, have we have we ever seen a movie where Gene Wilder has just, I mean, he always plays it straight, and that's what makes it so funny, but he always, he always plays it straight within more of a comedic setting. Here's the thing. When the material's great, he can play it straight and trust himself. Yeah. When the material's weak, he's trying to compensate. I guess that's what it is. That's what it feels but, like but that's, to me. But here's my other question, though, and then I'll, I'll shut up. Was the material weak? Because, again, only it, the, the, mm. the, the story, again, seemed like it could have made for a fairly good thriller, mistaken identity type thing. Well, there's also the idea of like, uh, you, you go ahead, Dan. I, I was just going to no, say no, like, go ahead. like you, to play it, to know like what your function is to play it deadly straight in a comedy like Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein or even uh, Willy Wonka, yeah, Willy knowing, Wonka, knowing the world you're in, but right. to, but to take a comedian and, and be like, here's a thriller. Here's a Hitchcockian thriller. And you are also expected to play it straight down the middle. Like you're Carrie fucking Grant or something. That's not, or whomever, you know, that's not what he does. Yeah. So, to play, you know what I mean? It's like it's I, I don't, uh, playing it straight as a comedian is different than being like an action hero yeah. or a leading yeah. man. So I think that's the thing. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? Well, uh, well, first of all, um, I love this movie. Uh, that's what he's going to say. <laughs> well, Poitier directed Stir Crazy. I had forgotten that. Yes. Oh, he did? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what Poitier's wow. last film that he directed was? No. The Ghost Dad. Oh no. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. I, uh, <laughs> that's so funny. I didn't realize he had directed Stir Crazy. I think I we were supposed to talk either, about it later this year. When you guys were talking about, oh, this was supposed to be oh, yeah, well, then it makes prior, perfect sense. my brain yeah. went to that place and I went, oh, hang on, hang on. I think he directed either one of those, one of those other Wilder prior movies and wow. it was Stir Crazy. Um, uh, I liked this movie. <laughs> Oh, I liked go. it a lot. There you go. <laughs> I actually really, there really enjoyed it. I'm a huge fan of North by Northwest. Uh-huh. I'm a huge fan of the 39 Steps. And that's what this movie's doing, you guys. He's they're basically saying, okay, who's the opposite of Cary Grant? They're they're throwing Gene Wilder in there. Yes, there are major problems with the way the way he's playing it sometimes, but I think they I think they get it. I think I think a lot of this is what they're doing is not a direct spoof of stuff that happens in those movies, although some of it is, you know, instead of instead of, you know, Cary Grant in the cornfield running from the plane, they're in the plane, you know, and and uh, and later they run from the helicopter. But uh, the 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 kind of archetypes of who they meet, like the government, like the Robert Prosky character mm-hmm. and the the uh, the principal for this thing is star studded, by the way. Here's yeah. a, I just is just a, a short list of people who, you know, you see for two seconds and you go, oh, there's J.O. Sanders, William Sadler, Larry Brigman, Bo Starr, Hofstra was in it for <laughs> like right, two yeah. seconds. 
Frankie Face and Victor Argo, you know, all the, remember mm. Bill Butel? Sure. Yes. From Eyewitness News. News. Eyewitness Bill Butel, News. Eyewitness News. Bill Butel Larry- and Roger Grimsby. Yeah. God bless them both. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Roger Grimsby. That name takes me all the way to Roger Grimsby. Exactly. He looked like his name. He yeah, literally no looked question. like he Grimsby. Looked like, he looked like uh, Sam the Eagle, Roger Grimsby. <laughs> he he was, did. He was just pissed. <laughs> I and loved just him like, so much. The uh, two of them. fucking thing happened today. I, they were, their chemistry was so good because Bill Butel yep. was like, hey, I'm selling you a car. And then yes. <laughs> Grimsby's like, I've so got to go take care of my hemorrhoids. And <laughs> <laughs> And they were the perfect mwah. I loved watching the news. Hoping your news is good news. I'm Roger Grimsby. And I'm Bill Butel. Thank you very much. Good luck and be well. Speaking to the mustache, I says. I saw Bill Butel and I was like, oh my God. That was my favorite part of the movie was seeing Bill Butel. Yes, that was mine as well. I I really enjoyed that. Um, but the Robert Prosky stuff that and, and like the government messing with you, that's straight out of that is mm-hmm. straight out of, you know, Notorious and mm-hmm. um, and North by Northwest. And that's what I mean. Like all, all that stuff was great. I don't think it was I don't yeah. necessarily think it was bad material. That mm-hmm. stuff I mm. found so interesting. I'm thinking uh, like the whole J.O. Yeah. Sanders. He was so menacing in that. And yeah, I, I, I was well, he, he's like he's like Martin Landau in in yes. uh, in um, in North, North by Northwest. Northwest. Yeah. You Kathleen know what I mean? And he's was just great. That whole thing. She, I thought she was terrific. It was I can't believe this is rated PG. It. it starts. There's like a, right. a, a bunch of f bombs, and then a woman's beaten right. and killed. Yeah. Right yes. at the beginning of the movie, I was like, "This is PG." I yeah. can't. I don't think I'd ever seen a PG movie that had the f word in it, like out of the gate. You know. I agree. At that yeah, time, I was shocked but, um, by that. Yeah, the surprised. title is terrible. There are major problems with it. The, the poster the, of them looking through pink. Uh, yeah. Venetian blinds and it's like no. Hanky and Panky and has like women's legs like it, like no. the, the marketing was like the marketing what are we gonna fucking off. do with this these yeah. two people don't belong in this movie <laughs> and they're not good in it but they're the faces that we have for the poster hence but- bleed. <laughs> That was like Sorry, me when I, when I make the posters for our episodes. I'm like, what am I going to do? I only have our faces. I got to no, do something with I agree with, with you. Them. The material's not bad. The piece isn't bad. I li- I was engaged by it at times, but the the leads didn't work no, for me. They, they constantly I was engaged me by it the it. whole time. I was engaged by it the whole time. It is not a perfect film by any stretch. It's probably a, you know, two thirds of the way up the Sheila scale kind of movie for me, maybe a little <laughs> higher, but what, long story short, Wilder didn't annoy me enough to put me off <laughs> from this movie. I laughed enough. I got what they were doing with it. They were like, okay, this is the opposite of Cary Grant. He's a, he's a, he's a nudge. He's annoying. He's, he's going to be screaming a lot. He's going to be scared to death through most of it. And he's going to be trying He's going to be, you know, he's not the man in the gray flannel suit. He's the man, right. in the, you know, he's the man who's walking around in a in a bathrobe, you know, uh, 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 because he doesn't have any clothes and Gilded Radner. But he wasn't even that. He wasn't. I wanted him to be then be more guileless than be more like, I, understand. Oh, I don't know. It just, yeah. It, it, yeah. yeah. Usually when I start to doze off during a movie, like during first daughter, we talked about this, or other things, <laughs> like, I always go back. I fucking went back and re and watched first daughter. This one, I was Good. dozing off. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, it's gonna, he's going to be more, there's going to be more screaming. There's going to be more screaming. I so yeah. I, I thought of first daughter because I thought much in the same way. I was like, Forrest Whitaker directed this. Yeah. That's Sydney how I Poitier? felt like I was yeah. like, Sidney Poitier directed this? But now that I know he directed Stir Crazy as well, I'm like, uh-huh. oh, this seems like this was the logical follow-up. And that a lot of a lot of wheels came off when when Richard Pryor 
says sure. no when you know when you're trying to replicate or do something in that vein and and it's a proven chemistry between a director mm-hmm. and 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 two co-stars you know uh, and it's like what can we make these three what can these three bring us next and then one person <laughs> bows out <laughs> then you're at a disadvantage uh, from the start and but again it's also like as a replacement for Richard Pryor, Gilda Radner is just, you're going a whole, it's a whole other thing, which is it's fine. It's a whole other thing. I actually fine, thought they but. did have chemistry. Again, they had enough to ha- to make me buy it. They had enough to make me go, oh, this is sweet. They had enough sweet little moments. Yeah, they fight and then reconcile too quickly. And it's like, I'm not 100% buying that. just didn't make sense. That. I wanted Kathleen Quinlan to like, have her stick around. She yeah, would have been she interesting. Was, yeah. She was, yeah. Yes, that she was, was interesting. Me, that really, that would have been interesting. That would have made more That's sense if that relationship. But just right. get rid of the Gilda Radner character. I mean, they'd have, they rejiggered the script enough to bring in Gilda Radner yeah. for Richard Pryor. Just keep it between Gene Wilder and Kathleen Quinlan and... I don't know. This just seemed it, it was a distraction when to me it was a distraction when her character came in mm. because it didn't make and I didn't buy any of it. I didn't buy how Gilda no, Radner was either. playing it. And I love Gilda Radner. No, how do you I know, but, but then even when she realized that she's just making it all up, it still didn't get any better. And I say, I listen, I give it one Sheila for Hanky. I give no. it another Sheila for Panky. Oh, oh, two Sheilas. Just good, oh, good night. I'm, I'm good giving night it four Sheilas. Wow. I'm giving it four. Um, Oh. And I'm not even sure why, but I, <laughs> Jason, I'm going to say two words to you, Bill Butel. <laughs> Bill get, Butel. Oh, now I know why I'm giving it for. Oh. Right there. <laughs> I, you can't give it. You can't tip it based on Bill Butel being in one scene. No, I, I, I at the first I was like, oh, this is this might be interesting. This might be. I would not expect. I, first of all, I, I do have to say it's not fair to lay all of this at the marketing's feet. But for, for 40 fucking years, I'm like, oh, hanky sure. panky, that that <laughs> that silly sex comedy with uh, Gene Wilder and Gilda Renner. It's like a Blake like, Edwards movie the, with that. You know, know? Yeah. Well, because of what they, yeah. what they mm-hmm. meaning the studio, the marketing departments, whatever, are trying to do. That's not what Poitier and the cat, they were making no, their movie or whatever. And they had, quote, if you want to call it unconventional casting for their leads or whatever. And then, you know, but they're doing their thing. And then the studio saying, great, a new comedy starring Gilda Radner and Gene Wilder. And oh, 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 oh the sparks are going to fly and nothing flies except <laughs> that plane. Are you crazy? I'm going to go with 6.75. Jesus. Huh. I was going to go seven. I was flirting with a 7.5, but. You guys have yeah. talked me back to reality. I thought Richard Widmark, who's an old timey actor who yeah, plays yeah, the heavy yeah. in this, I thought he was, he was very good. good. He was good. He was, he was good. Very, very He's menacing. Oh, yes. And yeah. J.O. Sanders was fantastic. He was great. It's yeah, funny. Actually, I walk yeah. I walk by him almost every night. I love you walk him. By him. Yeah, because he does when I go to the, the train after our show, he's in the girl from the North Country. And so I'm always walking by, he's always coming out of the theater. And I love J.O. Sanders. And I always he's want to like stop the, he's and the be loveliest like loveliest guy. Great actor. Great actor. You see his Uncle Vanya? Great. No, but I heard it was awesome. I That's actually great. saw him as Kent as the uh, in the in the John oh. Lithgow. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, King Lear with that Annette Benning was in. He was a great. Oh Kent wait, hold the, on, guys, hold on. In the park. What? Go ahead. Hold on. Hello. Oh, hey guys, they're here. <laughs>
Oh no. Yeah, they're here. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, that's the best trend. That's the best segue, best segue. Fred has ever done. This we're on episode 70 100 and he is the king of segways and that's the you're not going to hear one better than that if you go back. That's right. So, and I wish it was a video because you would have you would have been like, all right. Yeah, he acted him, it. He acted the shit out to of fool it. Us. He's not just an audiobook guy. Yeah, he can do he can do on camera. He's the J.O. Sanders of this podcast. <laughs> oh, oh no. God, here we go. I said we're here. <laughs> okay. All right, poultry guys. <laughs> we'll get you in here in just a second. That's poltergeist. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> you are so unlucky. With their three children. <laughs> and something more. Strange paranormal occurrences beset an average suburban California family, the Freelings. Father Steve, played by Craig T. Nelson, Mother Diane, played by Jo Beth Williams, teenage Dana, played by Dominique Dunn, eight-year-old Robbie, played by Oliver Robbins, and five-year-old Carol Ann, played by Heather O'Rourke when ghosts commune with them through their television set. Initially friendly and playful, the spirits turn unexpectedly menacing, and when Carol Ann seemingly disappears into the very fabric of their home after a particularly frightening incident, Steve and Diane turn to a parapsychologist and eventually an exorcist for help. As producer Steven Spielberg was contractually unable to direct another film while he made E.T. the Extraterrestrial for Universal Studios, director Toby Hooper was hired based on his horror film background, but the picture is pure Spielberg through and through, with many who have worked on it expressing the view that Spielberg should be considered the film's co-director or even its main director, though both Spielberg and Hooper have disputed this in the past. According to Steven Spielberg, Toby isn't a take-charge sort of guy. If a question was asked and an answer wasn't immediately forthcoming, I'd jump in and say what we could do. Toby would nod agreement, and that became the process of collaboration. Poltergeist opened just one week before Spielberg's E.T. and became an immediate classic, earning $6.9 million over its opening weekend on its way to a total box office of $77.2 million. Mm. Fred and Dan, what do you guys think of Poltergeist? Oh, I was so happy to revisit this movie. Yeah. It, it, it should have, I have to reconsider my whole top 10 horror movies that we did a couple of years ago now. I can't believe I'm saying that sentence a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. because this absolutely would have and should have been on it. It's a, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of horror. There's no, and, and you know, it, it there's, there's not a ton of blood in it. There's not, no one, no one dies in it. I don't think. Um, right. Isn't that interesting? I think um, you're right. You know, it's PG. Uh, you know, we talked about Hanky Panky being PG. This is PG as well. And yet it is, and, and it is legitimately frightening. It is legitimately frightening. Yeah. The, the, I love it. You know, we, we did our whole, um, uh, uh close encounters episode and, and our Spielberg look back, um, you know, a few months ago and, 
this feels so much of this feels like close yeah. encounters, even down to Heather O'Rourke kind of resembles and acts like I, that little yeah. kid. I wrote that encounters. down. I was like, she's got the same face as that she's little the same boy. Damn face, you know? And so You're that's your right. Spielberg. Um, the, 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 everything that the kids do, the way the kids interact feels like the way the kids in ET interact yes. feels like the way the kids in close encounters it's, interact. It's that the messy sort of, overlapping dialogue exactly. in the breakfast scene. Yep. Oh yeah, what do you know about it? Oh, and you. Ask Dad. Ask Dad. Ask Dad. Ask Dad. Ask Dad. Ask Dad. Hey, it's not my mess. Yeah, the way the parents act. That scene of them yeah. getting stoned, and he's reading the Reagan biography, before, and they're talking about before, the swimming after. pool. Yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, why don't we just dig the pool close to the house and let the kids jump off the roof? Yeah. Oh, no, honey, honey, honey. honey. A three-meter board, it's like an air pocket, sweetheart. When you dive off, it's like free-falling, okay? <laughs> you gotta get your position. I'm this feet are positioning. Hi. Three meters. Hi. Your diving days are over. We're talking Olympics, Diane. Okay? And it's she's amazing. and it's it all feels improvisational. It feels like a like an American family. It takes place in a uh, mm -hmm. a, a, a suburban area that looks like the one in ET. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like it's the same. It seems like they're street. in the same neighborhood. Yes, yeah. it looks like the same. Which street. honestly, it might be. They probably were because they were yeah. basically they were making the, the same movie time. simultaneously. He was right down the and street. And I'm sorry if Spielberg didn't direct this, then Toby Hooper is the greatest mimic of a director's no style that I've ever seen. Yeah. And I don't buy it. I think Toby Hooper really didn't direct the movie. I, I got to agree with you there, Jason. This is the it's first just time. nothing about it feels un-Spielberg. It's so Spielberg. And we, we've yeah. talked about this before where like when this movie came out, there were a few movies that had come out. I think Goonies was one of them too, where I was confused as a kid because I'm like, wait, yeah. I, I know Spielberg's producing. Like, I wasn't really sure what the difference between producing and directing a movie was. Right, I just saw Spielberg's yet, name yeah. on it. So I'm like, well, that's a Spielberg movie. So for so long, I thought this was Spielberg, but I'm like, no, he didn't direct it. But on this rewatch, and sorry, then I'll let you get back, Dan. To me, I'm like, no, no. oh, it's so, this is, this has got Spielberg all over it. I mean, he. No question. And especially when you, yeah, especially when you watch uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is uh, my favorite, you know, that's next to yeah. Psycho. That was my number two on the horror movie list. I think that's a utter, utter masterpiece of tone, style, and complete terror and batshit craziness i love that movie like crazy but this so no this does not feel like that does not feel like a, a, a other toby hooper fair feels much more like spielberg fair but that being said you know i i think that that it is gosh it legitimately made me jump a bunch of times and i've seen this yeah. movie you know when that giant face comes out of the out of the bedroom and yells at Craig T. Nelson. And he's like, blah. And oh my yeah. God, I completely forgot about that. I was like, whoa, I forgot. I forgot how fast this thing goes to crazy town. It is <laughs> yeah. like flipping a light switch. It gets nuts. And then Carol Ann disappears. I always remembered her disappearing into the TV, but that is not what happens. She no. disappears into the into the uh, closet. They, into they the closet, hear her. Yeah. They can like pick her up through the TV signal. The but I, yeah, I always yeah. thought the same thing because yeah. she communicates with them that way. And that's how we hear her voice. Yeah, yeah. But then you hear it all over the house too. And that's why I said the fabric right. of the house. It's like, she's become she's a part of that. Yeah. yeah. And I absolutely adored Joe Beth Williams in this. She yeah. is dynamite. She gives Me a great too. dynamic 
um, crazy, but also lovely, but also heartbreaking and heart wrenching performance. And them sitting in the tub, him, her holding little Carol Ann in the tub covered in friggin ecto goo or whatever they're covered is, is that's a brilliant, that all of that, all of that stuff is brilliant. They're both to get her and everything. so good. Joe Beth Don't Williams God. and Craig T. Nelson. You forget for me watching this, I forgot that it's really about them. And yes. yeah. maybe it's so funny. Like Kate and I will like say so many of their moments. Wait a minute, Sonny. Before, after, before, after, before, after. The scene with the mosquitoes, you know, when they're going to their neighbors. <laughs> so weird. It's so, so weird. weird. And they just start to burst out laughing. Like there's yeah. so many weird idiosyncrasies within their scenes. And they're so goddamn good together. And Joe Beth Williams, yeah, she's wonderful. She's great in it. I was so blown away by Craig T. Nelson this rewatch. He's so oh, beaten down. And, <laughs> you know, Joe Beth Williams, it's like she's she's sort of this, the stronger one and like she's trying to keep a, a happy face, you know? And there is that great scene where she finally tries to open, like she's just doing the laundry and she's like, oh, going to be fine God. and she opens the That's- door and, you know, yeah. the, what the spirits are basically like, get the fuck out. And that's when she yeah. just loses it. It's such great detail work on the part of the actors and the part of Steven Spielberg and maybe yeah. Toby Hooper. Who knows? Because it is exactly <laughs> what you're saying for it. They are handling it very differently. And most movies show the parents kind of or TV shows or things like the, yes. of this. Ilk. They handle it the same. They're united front. They're written the same way. They're, yes. He is hollowed out. He's yeah. not sleeping. His The dark circles under his eyes. He is... He's, he's absorbing a it in a man. much different way. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a, a shell, shell of a man, man compared to her who is putting on, you know, and there are people like this who are like, okay, there's a challenge. There's, a, I'm got to rise to the occasion. I have other kids. I have this and that. She, she does has not other look. Kids. Yes. She has other kids. She yeah. does not look at, we know she's as deeply affected by it as he is. Right. Every bit as much, but they just handle it differently because they are yeah. unique individuals and it's very interesting and uh, yes, and, and laudable that the movie treats them as such and not just the parents yeah. are upset. The parents are sad. The parents can't sleep. The parents are crying. They're handling it very, very differently. They're really it's wonderful. Really like I was, re- I was just so blown away by them. Like they carry the movie. She just moved through me. My God, I felt her. I can smell her. It's her. It's her. I smell my clothes. It's her. She's all over me. It's her. She's my all over me. It's her. I felt her. It is her. It's her. It is. It's. It is. It's my baby. It's my baby. She went through my soul. <laughs> they so many of my friends had seen it, and the biggest thing was yeah. I kept hearing about the face tearing scene, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, no, yes. no, yes. no, no yeah. I don't want to. So it was like this. So I would see bits and pieces when I could handle it. You know, it would be on cable, it'd be on HBO. Mm-hmm. That, that's and what his like, face turned into. <laughs> Thank you. Bits and pieces. Oh Used up with that hanky panky Jason. <laughs> but so I would like catch, yeah, you know, just clips of it here and there. And I just remember finally there was a moment where I thought, okay, I knew it was on cable and I went up to my parents' room 
and I sat in their bed and I knew that scene was coming. And I'm like, oh, I'm no, gonna, no, and at that no, point no. I'd pretty much seen every moment. I'd seen the movie pieced together every moment except mm. that scene. And I just watched, I had my hands over my eyes. No. And I remember being so, two feelings. I was so disgusted and freaked out, but also, oh, that wasn't that bad. Cause I was, it was very, I'm like, oh, that's very oh. obvious. That's a robot. That's a robot face. So I can, I can tell that. Oh, wow. I can tell that Good it's not, a, it almost looked like something out of I like a music video a or something. Yeah. Uh, something out of Terminator when you really look at yes, it. Yes, exactly. Totally now it does not look, yeah. it doesn't hold no. up at all. No. <laughs> I mean, it does. and it's also like, if you feel like your face is starting to go, you go, you'd be like, oh my God, and go to a doctor. You probably wouldn't keep being <laughs> like, well, is more uh, face under here? Maybe my real face. Oh, that's bone. We've all had a scab and picked at it. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> and, and then it really, for me, where it really kicked into fifth gear, and I'm like, man, here comes the MVP of the movie. It's when Zelda Rubenstein or yeah, Zelda Rubenstein terrific. shows up. Yeah, she terrific. is fucking perfect. It lies to her. It says things only a child can understand. It has been using her to restrain the others. To her, it simply is another child. To us, it is the beast. For me, it's her and the great... Pathmark spokesman, James Cameron. <laughs> James Cameron, that is that is the best, that might be the greatest casting choice we've seen on the podcast because who's more trustworthy? Who's more, you know, he hey, he's gonna tell you about this week's sales at Pathmark every week. <laughs> you know, he is America. He is, yeah, come on down to the supermarket. Yeah, he is like I'm sort of, you know, straddling the line between professional spokesman and just, you know. A uh, uh, nice grocer. He, he seems like yes, a nice grocer say, that you like, trust. And he's, he's like the, the banker. Grocer. He's the yeah. You're like, just to like sign the, off the produce section, but you forgot <laughs> to remove the spoiled meat. Yeah. You forgot <laughs> to move it <laughs> in Pathmark. <laughs> now the movie, to me, you guys, and you tell me what you think of this, has a does have a major flaw, and it's major for me, and I have a really hard time with it. Go for it. Zelda Rubenstein says, this house is clean. Yeah. And then okay. it's not. <laughs> it ain't. <laughs> All right. And guess what? No, I can maybe, maybe, maybe buy that they spend one, two more nights until they can move in the living room, huddled together yes. on, on sleeping bags or whatever. No, no, no. You are never letting your kids or anyone yeah. in that bedroom ever again. Agreed. And you're certainly not going to let them sleep in there. Yeah. That's never happening. Joe Beth Williams and Trey T. Nelson would never do that. It's a major plot flaw of the movie. I can't buy it. I agree. I it's agree overwrought. Well. The ending is too much. It's The movie ends. It really kind of ends. And then it has to tack ends on, again. which is like, which is what Hollywood does now. But this right. seems like an early example of it where it's like, the movie really kind of had its ending, but you want something flash. It's all to justify what is a brilliant, iconic, amazing, still special effects wise, amazing shot. The house yeah. folding in on itself yeah. and, and, yes. and disappearing is incredible. And I'm like, 
maybe that extra ending is worth it to see that, but I don't know because it really does feel like your story is told. The one other thing I want to say is the, the such a great bit in the, the chairs being stacked oh, yeah, up stacked on the, up. Oh, God, it's so yeah. amazing. Cause you talk about practical. That's obviously a camera just goes over here and it comes back and people rush their ass over, you know, they, they have like, it's all glued together or something. It's like right. somebody's coming in through a fake wall moves and they get that on there as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I noticed at this time, and maybe it's watching it in HD, oh, no. you see people moving towards through the toaster, the reflection of the fucking oh, toaster. No. You see people going me. to move something. You see the You're camera pans. Me, Carol Ann is over there on the counter. You gotta watch it again and like look for like, and it's because oh, I, I wasn't wow. looking for something, but I was thinking, I was like, God, so somebody must just be like, they must be just rushing in, doing that in real time. Yeah. All the cameras over here. And my eye went to something like a little, was a little anomaly and i rewound it a few times and i was like oh you see the reflection of people moving oh, to do it this i mean is you can't HD make out much but it's you can't really HD make out anything but you can tell that it's like well carol Ann's on that side of the frame joe beth williams here nothing should be moving that's why you don't watch porn in hd oh, you don't want oh, you don't oh, want to see stuff reflected in the toaster in those see. movies so listen <laughs> after that scene i remember watching this time and thinking after the whole you know when when She's showing Craig T. Nelson the chairs. I remember that time going, that's a weird cut. There's some weird editing in this movie because it like, it, it leaves that scene too early. Then it goes to them, the neighbor's house. And I'm like, mm, mm. this is weird. Why? It, it seems very unspielberg to have a bad edit. And I was just- I saw that too, Fred. I saw that too. And I rewound it. There's a I reason. Went, there's a weird edit it's here. A, and I read it. I looked it up. There's a jump cut from that scene. Yes. Because the scene jumps mid-sentence to the scene where they're both in their neighbor's doorstep. Again, in mid-sentence, the reason for the cut was because in the original scene, Stephen Craig T. Nelson says how he hates Pizza Hut. The scene was edited rather crudely after Pizza Hut saw it and took offense. Oh, come on. So that's that's, why they cut it, because it's a really strange edit. That makes perfect sense. That's great. Well, you know, and you're going to get into trouble like that, right? Where you're like, because it's so, the verisimilitude of like, this is, this is life in suburbia in 1982. I mean, that... That kid's bedroom, even more than E.T., it's Holy like Darth Vader poster, alien I everything poster. Right? that Yoda puppet. It's so fucking cool. I I'm like just staring at everything the Yoda there. puppet. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay. We still have, have it. My sister has out. it. You're kidding. No, she's got it. In her I, and it's rubber, right? Yeah. It's the rubber one or latex one. I had the Yoda, Yoda puppet and I was looking at that thing to try to get a, so dorkily I was looking at this, to try to get a perspective on it, to see if it was the Yoda puppet or if it was the slightly smaller, which I also had Yoda magic eight ball thing. Oh, right. Yes. He turned it over and he was like, yeah. you know, you know, you asked it yes or no questions, just like a magic eight ball. And he was like, you know, Drew it is or whatever, you know, on the magic eight ball. The part so of this movie back. that made me scream the most, and we've already touched on this, is when Gene Shalit showed up. Oh, oh my God. I screamed. So good. I yelled. So good. I, yelled. I took a screenshot of it and sent it to Jason. Yes. I sent it to you. I sent it to you guys. That might have been, maybe that's what the reflection was, because the TV is in that. <laughs> maybe that was like somebody running to be like, oh my God, Gene Shalit's on. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it up. And then they were like, you're going to ruin the shot. And you're like, well, what? The toaster? There's no such thing as HD. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Shallot's 
on the TV, which means he's in the TV, which means clearly he's the poltergeist. Yes. That was his face that comes out of the door. Saying, Yeah. That's oh it. That, they modeled that on him or on his hair, at least. Speaking to the mustache, I says. Uh, I'm going nine. It's, I'm going nine. Even though I said I picked apart the ending and stuff, but I'm like, I'm like, it's so good. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. Uh, I think I'm going to go nine and a half. I was going to go nine, but I want to go because it just it man, it, it this movie for a movie to affect me that much for so long. I'll give it a nine and a half. I'm going to go eight on it um, because and I love it. I, I think it's terrific. Um, I, I did have such major problems with the 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 unjustifiable <laughs> having those kids in the room again, you know, and even in the house, honestly. I got to remove two full Sheila's wow. for wow. that. But you're so right though. That it's about, it's the, it's the parents are the focal point of the story and how they deal, mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the, the heart of this nuclear family and, and Joe Beth Williams is probably MVP. I I, I mean, and oh, Craig sure. T. Nelson, she's, they're both great, but man, it's a great performance. I, I would like to see more Joe Beth Williams performances, honestly, yeah, not just because too. of her beautiful legs, although she does have beautiful <laughs> legs. Um, <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Oh no. So yeah. So before we move on yes. uh, uh, <clears throat> to, I know Dan's very excited the same way he could tell you could see the saliva in the corners of my mouth for Batman and uh, the Dark Knight. You know, I, I'm three. seeing I, and, and Superman three, the great Superman three. Uh, I, I see the little twinkle in, in Dan's eye about our very first Star Trek movie. But um, oh. but we uh, the the uh, the 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 students of Half Hollow Hills have graced our inbox once again. They've, yeah. uh, they uh, they just came up with some really interesting stats. I guess they've all gone back and they've they've really I mean. They're getting, yeah, they're getting like, uh, I, I don't know, they're getting college credit for this. I don't know if this is a, a course you can take in opening weekend podcast, but they <laughs> have done some very deep dives. And I guess the, the class or a, a group of students in the class has kind of gone through and listened to all the episodes. Among them, they have listened to all the episodes and they've come up with some stats regarding our Sheila ratings. Which incredible. Very, very interesting. It's very fun to see. And here are some of the stats that the the students at Half Hollow Hills provided us with. Um, that there have been only five movies that we all gave tens to. Can you think of what they are? Oh, well, you've read the email. You know, you know what they are. There's no quizzing. <laughs> Max Devlin. <laughs> no, we all gave tens well, that's to negative tens. Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, United 93, The Empire Strikes Back, and Goodfellas. That feels about right. That feels right. That feels, yeah. does that feel feels right. We right. didn't all give tens to seven, the movie seven. I guess not. I huh. think I, I did. Th- I think you might have given one of you guys might have given a nine. Maybe I gave it less than I, th- I, I thought I gave it. But maybe I gave it like a nine or nine point five because I was like, this is the last. This is not my type of movie yeah. at all. Oh, it's amazing that I'm yeah. even this high on. It. Although I think Silence of the Lambs also not my kind of movie. I think I must have given that a ten. But anyway, mm. um. They say here that of the 188 movies we have reviewed at wow. the point that they, uh, that they had done this, um, I don't know what episode they had listened up to, uh, our individual Sheila ratings, uh, the averages are very close. <laughs> Fred's average Sheila rating is a 6.1. Jason's wow. is a 6.1. Dan's is a 6.3. So Ooh. you you are ever so slightly tend to be more uh, give more favorable Sheila ratings. However, thank you, Super Mario Brothers. Thank however, you, Baby's Day Out. <laughs> however, 
Jason is the most likely to give a movie a 10. I'm uh, effusive that way. I've done it 23 times. Wow. Whoa. Dan is the least likely. Okay. Nine Good. times. You're given, uh, I don't know how many Fred has given. They didn't list that, but they said you've only given nine, 10 Sheila ratings. I've given 23. But yet your average is higher than mine. So that means that when I don't like something, I really don't like it. I'm given a lot of ones and twos. And also means I give a lot of sevens, eights, and nines to crap. I, I'm very bi- I'm I'm clearly bipolar when You're it comes to my movie numbers, rating. Dan. And I also right. create the schedule, so I'm probably being like, "Ooh, I love this oh, movie. Let's talk about it." Right. I wonder if that has something to do with it. You know what I mean? Could like be, that automatically. Be. I'm like, "This is a great one," and then I'm like, 10. and you're like, "Yeah, I've heard of that. <laughs> I'll give it a seven. <laughs> The most frequented year chosen for opening weekend podcast. I would have guessed this myself. 1984. We have we have uh, traveled back to 1984 18 times wow. so far over You're the kidding. over that the 77 many? episodes. Good year. Yes. Oh my god! Good year. It's a great year. It's a great year. But so is 82. So is that. There's a few that we go back to a lot. 99 we go back to a lot. But Amazing. 84 is tops at least so far. Uh, the worst combined Sheila score goes to nothing but trouble <laughs> with a combined Sheila score. <laughs> of negative eight. (laughs) It must have been because I was just ridiculous. I must have been like negative 30. Um, Yes. And then there's some other, there are some other stats there too, but uh, very, very fun. Very cool to see. It makes you feel like you have a real body of work to look back on. Right. And it makes me think that I'm a little too kind to movies in general, but I think it's time. I don't know if you got a, you got a segue, Fred. I was just going to say that they, they are really, those half hollow Hill students are, they're, they're great marksmen and they just, they don't miss it, but they just keep hitting the target target. with those stats. I mean, there has no blood suckers there. Just, they those oh my God, those things are disgusting. They did those, they did those, those stats with a wrath of <laughs> con. I'm going to say it the way the guy who did the ABC Sunday night movie says it. Yes, please. Star Trek to the wrath of con. We'll be back after these messages. Yes. Oh wait, guys, guys, hold on one second. Hold on. Oh, oh no. Oh God. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're here. Check off and Scotty, they're here. Oh, I thought you were gonna say it's coming through now, Con. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it! (laughs) It's coming through now, Con. Oh God, so much, so much quotable. Say what you will about William Shatner, the most quotable motherfucker. Nobody gives a line reading like William Shatner. Ah, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Beyond the darkness. Beyond the human evolution is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames as Admiral James T. Kirk, played by William Shatner, and Captain mm-hmm. Spock, 
played by Leonard Nimoy, wearing a hue of eyeshadow most closely associated with Waylon Flowers' puppet Madam, monitor trainees <laughs> at Starfleet Academy, including a pre-cheers Kirstie Alley. Another vessel from the United Federation of Planets is about to test the terraforming Genesis device in a seemingly deserted portion of space. In the process, two of Kirk's officers, including original series mainstay Chekhov, played by Walter Koenig and Liza Minnelli's hair, are captured... <laughs> are captured by the genetically engineered Superman Khan Noonan Singh, played by Ricardo Montalban and Linda Evans' hair, an enemy Kirk thought he'd never see again after exiling Khan and his crew during the 1967 Star Trek episode Space Seed. Once more, Kirk takes the helm of the Enterprise, where he meets Khan's ship in an intergalactic showdown. Nicholas Meyer's film, as much a thoughtful meditation on aging and mortality as it is an effects-laden space opera and much-needed franchise reboot is the beginning of a three-film story arc that continues with Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, and concludes with Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, both directed by Dan's favorite filmmaker, Leonard Nimoy. Thank you. At the time, this is very interesting, I did not know this, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan boasted the biggest opening weekend of all time, taking in $14.3 million on its way to a $78.9 million domestic haul and a worldwide box office of $97 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan? Well, I can't, I was confused because I couldn't remember. I thought for sure that I saw this in the theaters, but I might be thinking of the search for Spock because I have a Uh. clear memory of going, I thought it was this, I think it might've been search for Spock, that it was like the first movie that I just went to with just my friends that we saw. There was a movie theater in the Americana shopping mall and it was just, it wasn't with parents. It was just friends. Mm -hmm. But I think that it might have been Search for Spock because I, I seem to remember, I remember seeing this movie a lot on HBO and I would watch it and I just remember, I remember the, the, the things that the creatures that they put in the ears freaked me out oh, yeah. so much as a kid and I, I don't, I don't have a memory of seeing that on the big screen. I think that would have freaked me out too much. So, okay. and another reason where maybe I didn't rush to see it in the theaters was because the first one bored me so much as a mm-hmm. kid and I was like, I don't want to <laughs> see it. I also... And this didn't hit me until the new Star Trek reboot with uh, Chris Pine and um, the great, mm-hmm. oh my God, uh, uh, Carl Urban. I'm watching The Boys yeah. now mm-hmm. and I'm just remembering how fucking great Carl Urban was his bones in yeah. the new movies. It didn't hit me till I watched that movie. I never considered myself a Star Trek guy. You know, it was always Star Wars and I never, but I grew up watching Star Trek. Every Saturday. It was always Did on you? the TV. Yeah, because we Did had you? much to the chagrin of my wife was like, I can't believe you had a TV in your kitchen. We would watch, we had a TV and we would watch TV while we ate dinner. Um, ah. And on Saturdays, Star Trek was always on. So I, I mean, that show was just, it was in me. It was a part of me. And it wasn't something I didn't that know like. that about you. Yeah, and I didn't love it. I didn't like it. I mean, I, I, it was just always background noise and it sort of freaked me out as a kid. You know, it was a little more, as you said earlier, Jason, it was a little bit more serious. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. as fantastical as Star Wars. It was also, you know, because it was earlier in the yeah. 60s, it was a little cruder looking, but those sound effects and the noises and, you yes. know, all the terms, you know, the Kobayashi Maru, like all this stuff, just watching the new movies, I was shocked 
how much I knew, like deep dive stuff and how much these characters, you know, how much I, I, they lived in me and how much I knew about them. I remember being very excited because Merritt Buttrick was in it because he was on Square Pegs. And that was the first oh, TV yes. show that my cousin Jamie was on. And With Jamie. He played Jamie. like the punker, right. the new wave punk guy on there. So I was excited yes. about that. And um, yeah, watch, watching it again, you know, I hadn't seen it in a long, 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 long time. Just, you know, oh. the memes and the clips and whatnot. And, um, <laughs> but man, it's, it's, it's so much fun. Oh, you know what I remember being fascinated by as a kid? Their uniforms. That's mm-hmm. watching it this time. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I was fascinated by their new uniforms and how they worked and what was that thing, how it sort of like it buttoned up on the corner and then it would come right. down the flap. Yeah, makes no sense. Yeah. Makes utterly no sense. But, but it was a fun design. It, was, yeah, it, was it wound up being design. pretty iconic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it did. It became iconic. I yeah. just, but you know, I, I, I just loved it. it it's super enjoyable. William Shatner's ridiculous. Ricardo Montalban's ridiculous. You know, if I never saw as much as, as, as many times as I watched Star Trek growing up, I never saw that episode Space Seed until ah, a couple okay. nights ago. I watched it. Oh, uh, you did? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, what do so, you think of it? I mean, it's ridiculous too, but it's, it's, it's fun. It you know, it's, it's, the it's, fight it's, is amazing at the end. It's amazing. Oh yeah. Cause it's uh, so I, clearly not the two of them. Oh no, 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 no. I, I saw it in 1982 because WPIX in anticipation of Star Trek two coming out <laughs> so that people would know that it was a thing that, you know, and that was the station that showed Star Trek yeah. reruns and stuff, oh, yeah. but they did a special, it was like a coming soon start, you know, it was like a promotional Star Trek two special with and at the episode of Space Seed as a, as, so they made it like a two hour and 90 minute event with little interviews with the cast and this and that, and then showed the episode <laughs> so that you would know everything you needed to know. And that's how I saw it. I remember so cool. watching it in the, on a little black and white TV in my, at my grandmother's house, like before going to see the movie and being like, cool, cool. <laughs> wow. And even then thinking, this is a deep cut to like one episode of a TV show from the yeah. 60s, then launch a, it's basically a sequel to one episode of the TV show so decades odd. Later. Decades later. Yeah. later. yeah. And Star Trek is still doing that. The show Star uh-huh. Trek Stage Strange New Worlds is basically is is in essence a sequel or kind of a prequel to yeah. the original yeah. Star Trek pilot called The Cage, which was made into a Star Trek episode called The Menagerie because it's about Captain Pike. Those characters from that little two-parter, Strange New World is all about those characters. Oh. It's crazy. So much of this movie is about the passage of time and like losing your relevance. I sort of wish they dealt into that a little bit more, but it's about them getting older and being like, where do I, where do I stand in this world? And it's sort of dealing with the mistakes with what they did in their youth. And so it's like, that's coming back now to haunt them. And I almost wish, I wish they delved a bit more into that. Maybe not hit you over the head with it. Although if anyone can hit you over the head with something, it's Shatner. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? And the other thing that jumped out at me at the end watching it, I'm going, this space battle at the end, it's really slow. I'm going, this is a submarine movie. Yes. It's submarines. It's like watching Crimson Tide or like in (laughs) 1940s. I'm like, that's so fucking cool. It's all about Mm -hmm. like strategies and, you know, you get to what should be the climax of the movie and how interesting (laughs) that they're like, but we're going to disable both ships. 
the ships can't move. Yes. They're disabled. So you have like yeah. two sh- dead ships in the water and they yep. have to figure out, well, you know, just outsmarting each other. Yeah. How are we going to make this work? That's and sort of brilliant of and that, brave. And a lot of how that builds is because of James Horner's music, which is oh, un uh-huh. believable in this. He's got a theme for Khan that comes in again and again. And stuff. Oh, it's the best. You know? It's so great. The first and note then, I wrote you know, was, da, oh my God, that da, music. Da, 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 yeah. That's the Enterprise theme. And it's a battle between those two themes as much as it's yes. a battle between yes. the two starships. It's incredible music. It is very cold in space. This is damn peculiar. Yellow alert. Energized defense fields. You know, you had this first movie that didn't quite catch every catch the imagination, although it is beloved now. You know, there, it does its own thing in a, in its own sort of special way, um, but it doesn't really capture the imagination of of that sort of post Star Wars sci fi, you know, um, sci fi moviegoer uh, in the way that Star Wars did. Uh, and um, this movie. Part of the reason this movie did is because Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry, was basically backburnered for this thing. He was, yeah. they were like, you're not going to have a, you, you spent 45 million on Star Trek motion picture. We need to do another Star Trek movie. And it's, you got, you got 11 million. And also, you're out. <laughs> and yeah. they're going to bring in Harv Bennett, who's, who was a TV guy yeah. who didn't know Star Trek, but went back through all the old episodes to find a villain. Wow. And, and because Star Trek one didn't have a viable villain. And he went, that's the movie. He looked at Ricardo Mondelbaum as Khan and went, there's our movie. We bring back freaking Khan. I always think of it as like, these three movies are the Star Trek movies to me. And to I, me too. I, you know what yeah. I mean? I, cause one and five are so weak and then six I've seen and it's good, but I don't remember yeah. it that well. I don't remember you know, anything but, but these three. I mean, I don't even know if I saw, I don't know if I saw five and six because yeah. it just seemed like, yeah, this was a completed story. And at yeah. that point I moved on, but wait, I'm curious, but Dan. It's so smart. It's so smart to address the age. How did you and, get into Star Trek? How do you go from someone who didn't know Star Like, did you see this when it came out? Is this what got you into Star Trek? Okay, <laughs> so first of all, <laughs> he's like, first I've been waiting my whole life for somebody to ask me this question. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. First, I have to do 20 minutes on the eugenics wars and what those are. <laughs> then <laughs> we have to tell the story of Khan. No, um, <sighs> the way that I got into it was through, um, well, my friend, my friend Wally Cito loved it. And he was my friend um, uh, from back in middle school, Island Middle School. And he, um, you know, it was also instrumental in getting me into wrestling and WWF and all of that stuff. But he was into it. And I was like, well, if Wally likes it, because he was smart and funny and and, and uh, great guy. And he was like, if, you, if he likes it, I'll, I'll watch it every once in a while. And it was on late. So I would tape it. I would set up the VCR to tape it. And then I started building this on on WPIX at like midnight or 1 a.m. or whenever it was on because I would miss it if it was on during the day. 
And then I started to build this tape collection of Star Trek episodes and we, and I would watch them and I would watch them with my mom and my mom liked it and my friends liked it. And I would show them to my other friends, like my friend Nick and stuff. And we would watch it. And, and because it was so campy and so silly and because it was, you know, high camp, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it, like, it's like, it, it's taking itself so freaking seriously. And yet it's so hilarious when the red shirt guy dies or when, you know, Shatner's cadence and, and just, you know, the brilliance and yet the, the silliness of, you know, of what Spock uh, goes through throughout the series of when, you know, like when he does have emotions and, and things like that, the irascibility of McCoy, you know, the, the character archetypes and we, and we would spoof it all the time as you do. And, I wound up having this collection before I knew it of every single episode on um, just taped off of TV. They, 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 it just like really became part of part of my identity. Just, mm. you know, all right, let me go to the next VHS, put it in. There are six episodes on it because it's a six hour VHS. That one's done. Next one. And then when it, when I got to the end, start over again, watch them all wow. again, you know, and it was just this constant refrain now i do the exact same thing but with the simpsons and it was just just a constant <laughs> you know refrain of like my fr from basically middle school all the way through college of just watching these over and over again because they were so comforting to me yeah and i loved the characters so much and i loved the stories so much and then only later did i see you know the movies you know what i mean as hmm. they as they came out so so probably you know in the maybe late eighties, probably the early nineties is when I started watching the movies. I think the first Star Trek movie that I saw in the theater was five. Wow. I, yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was fairly late when I, when I, you know, kind of, um, you know, was really, isn't that crazy? That's then, so crazy that you said you're a Star Trek fan and you didn't see any of these three, these three or any, any of the first four, uh, right. in the theater. Because I was kid. too young in the eighties to really, uh, uh, you know, um, yeah. really appreciate it yeah, in, sure. in that way. But, but, you know, in the theater, I wasn't running to the theater to see, I may have seen four in the theater actually. And now that I think of it, but it would, but certain definitely five. Cause I remember seeing it with my dad. I remember my dad and I went so and we liked it. We liked five. We had no problems with it. That was only later when I saw, you see all the flaws in it. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. Nicholas Meyer is a classics guy. He loves Shakespeare, and he and this feels very Shakespearean at times. You Absolutely, know I mean? yeah. he he. he um, you watch him being interviewed. First of all, he has confirmed in many, many, many interviews that is Ricardo Montalban's actual chest. <laughs> I know, but right. But doesn't it seem it like it's really not looks. Oh, I thought I for decades thought. it was for, a, forever. Yeah. Only now in HD. Am I like, no, that's skin. That's yeah. him. But it really he's looks in, like it's not. His you can chest. see the crew member's reflection shape. in his chest. <laughs> that's true. Moving. Yeah. Yeah. So up so the chest. in his nipple, in his nipple hair. <laughs> um, uh, but he's confirmed it many times, but also he was like, you know, he tells this story about Montalban. He's like, he loved Ricardo Montalban from, from way back. He was so glad to be able to work with him. He tells a few stories about him. One is, uh, 
that, you know, Montalban the first day doing that scene with with Walter Koenig as Chekhov. Oh, and this is an interesting piece of trivia. Chekhov is not in Space Seed. He's not even in the in the uh, in the series yet. Chekhov doesn't oh, come in until season two. Oh my god, two. you're right. He's not because there were Space a few Seed. other characters, and I'm like, who are those guys? Yeah, yeah right. you're right. <laughs> right. So and funny. Walter Koenig saw the script and was like, well, I'm not telling anybody. I got yeah. a nice part in this thing. I'm not telling shit. Yeah, because he recognizes him in the. Yeah, yeah. he's like, I never forget a face. It's like, but you, that he was not a face on the Enterprise at that time. That's amazing, and he, and he never. He's like. I'm not going to say anything because they'll cut me the fuck they'll out. Cut yeah, they'll, they'll make cut. it Sulu. You oh, know my they'll God. They'll make it somebody else. Isn't that funny? Um, wow. But, uh, Sulu is barely in this one. He's now that I think barely about it. in it. He doesn't Uhura do anything. I actually has anything forgot. To do. I was like, wow, Sulu doesn't do anything yeah, in this. Sulu, Uhura, and Scotty have very little to do in this, unfortunately. But uh, so anyway, Nicholas Meyer, you know, talking about Montalban, um, Montalban was very big and blustery and yelling his first scene and just sort of crazy. And, you know, um, one note and it was all sort of loud and yelly. And Nicholas Meyer went and talked to him and, you know, started to direct him. And, and Montalban got quiet and was like, oh, oh, you're going to direct me. Oh, good, good, good. Because I need direction. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so isn't that lovely? <laughs> you know, here's this legend of state of screen who's been five seasons on freaking Fantasy Island. And and he doesn't know that the director's going to direct him. And then is so open to it and, and relieved on top of it, you know. And That's is like, great. thank goodness you're going to direct me. And then the other beautiful story is that Nicholas Meyer was like, you know, um, and this one's kind of sad is um, allegedly said to Montalban, you know, you should play Captain Ahab. You should play freaking King Lear. You're amazing. You have this great grandiosity. And Montalban sort of got sad and quiet and was like, no, my accent, my accent. They never oh. let me do it. You oh. know what I mean? They never let me do it. You know, and today, of course, they would. You know, right. and he was probably right. You know, he was sort of hampered in the things he in his versatility yes. because of, you know, his accent. He played lots and lots of Native Americans. He played lots of. Latinas, uh, Latinos, I mean, and, and, you know, but wasn't able to sort of expand beyond that into the kinds of things that he probably could have done. Hmm. Um, but uh, I love Montalban in this. I, I, I just think he, he, he brings so much to it and you do feel for him um, because uh, uh, you know, he, he makes so many mistakes and he's so flawed in this because of his, you know, revenge lust a la Captain Ahab. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you, and I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet, buried alive, buried alive. The one thing that I, I, I didn't buy and I was a little watching this time was at one point he he gives the order for them to kill Kirk, that if they can kill mm -hmm. Kirk to kill him. And, I, and that that was right. the one thing that didn't seem to ring true to me, that why would he have someone else kill Kirk? That's he, what I thought. He I wants, like, he to wants that, that revenge. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was the one yeah. moment where I thought that doesn't that doesn't track for me. 
You're right. That is a weak point in the script because he wants Paul Winfield, but it gives Paul Winfield a great moment, a great scene of yeah. like, I try, yeah. I try your excellency, but I, I cannot, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, great. and it's, you know, the, the, the thing that doesn't ring true for me is why would he need the enterprise to give him all of the information about Genesis? All of that would be on the Reliant. Because yeah. the Reliant is the ship that's going to do the Genesis project. He would he would raid the memory banks of the Reliant. Watching it this time, I just remember watching that on HBO and cable, just seeing the bodies come down. Oh, you yeah. know, when they yeah. go in there and everyone's slaughtered. Yeah. And oh, God. You never saw that kind of level of violence on Star Trek yeah. ever. You never saw the, you know, the creatures going in the ears and Ooh. the blood and all Ooh. that, that stuff. You never still saw that. such a, like, disgusting, great. Oh, Effect. How do they make those little armadillo bug things? What are they? What the fuck are they? I don't know, but they're puppets, I guess. And they're, they're they amazing. really look good. Really I have seen production good. shots of that giant, uh, the giant know, a, ear, a huge yeah. version of Chekhov's ear. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think it's a puppet oh. or an audio animatronic. No, but the, yeah, those things are really Ooh, horrifying and gross yeah. and excellent. <laughs> yeah. You see, their young enter through the ears and wrap themselves around the cerebral cortex. Uh, this has the effect of rendering the victim extremely susceptible to uh, suggestion. Later, as they grow, follows madness and death. Yes, well, Jason, do you like the movie? I like it very much. I saw yeah. it in the theater on opening oh weekend. Like God. I said, I think it's so funny that you, yeah, I saw all I the was Star still Trek in movies. That range in the, of like, of, of yeah, discovering no, it. I was a little too young. For, I was only eight. You know what I mean? So it's like, I wasn't there yet. You were in the stage of discovery. You weren't in the next generation yet. Yeah. I always loved, uh, I always loved this movie. I saw it. I had it on the, that video disc machine that I had. I had oh, yes. it on that. And I, I watched it a million times on that. Um, yeah, I, I but just, were you a fan? Did you watch the show at all? Did you? I didn't. I mean, know who very, Captain Kirk and Spock yeah, were. Yeah, and I stuff? knew who they were. I, okay. I watched it fleetingly, but I was mm-hmm. never uh, a fan. But I had seen enough of it. Like when I, when I went to see Star Trek: The Motion Picture, it wasn't like, "What is this? Is this more Star Wars?" You know, I knew what Star right. Trek was. I had seen a little bit of it. I probably had toys, Star Trek toys. You know, you just the it's just on TV so much. You just know it from that. But yeah, you know, yeah, I had the Mego, Mister Spock, and never quite knew what I what I was playing. Yeah, with. yeah, it's like you know, the I had probably had coloring books and things yeah. like that. I mean, it just there was an animated show, right? As you know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure right. I saw some of that. It was a filmation, yeah. Filmation. yeah, it was just part of it. It was like that's just like the same like like Casper and the Flintstones and Spider Man and what it was. They were just they were character pop culture characters that were. I remember as, I had a little you know, record. I had a Star Trek, uh, you know, record book. That we've talked about in the show, like you had the Ewok I did one. Too. I had a book and record. I had a yeah. Star Trek and I didn't one, know yeah. what the hell it was either. Somebody got it for me. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, and I, I, I loved it from when I first saw. I, I remember, you know, I remember so much about the ramp up to it because this uh, at this point I was really into movies and what was coming out and what the summer movie schedule was going to look like and what was you know i was reading all those kinds of articles and i was reading pauline kale and i'm reading all this shit you know i'm so i was i just into movies in general and i do remember the thing that i remember so vividly is 
news stories on the 11 on the you know six o'clock news or whatever about this movie coming out and about the fans and about like yes. what they thought the theories about what was going to happen in the movie and they were talking about it all over tv they were talking about well, yeah because Spock it dies leaked, in this one yeah he it, leaked yeah. that he was gonna die which to your earlier point fred with the kobayashi yeah, Maru, that's say, why they, they very prominently way. show skabak dying and then coming back to life and then kirk having that line aren't you dead Oh, you know, they well, that's what I was going to say. That, that to get that out of the way right at the beginning. Oh, Spock's not dead. That was just a thing that they did as a fake exercise. Well, that's what I was going to say is that that's what I noticed about the movie. And that's what I noticed about and, and people yeah. talking about it and saying that's the how they the filmmakers got ahead of the the hype mm-hmm. and the leaks. And uh, which I think is still brilliant to this day because you and, and people talk about all the time being like, oh, and then I. I relaxed when I was like, oh, they're, they're not really killing Spock. It's just that, yep. you know, and anybody who do. says that there's a scene yep. where Spock dies, it's like, oh, that's okay, whatever. Yep. I, I think it's so brilliant. And it's then, brilliant. yeah, at the end, it is so, it's so brilliant. It's so moving. That final, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, they're both, they're both so good in that moment. I'm sorry. I don't think, I, I like William Shatner as an actor. I think he's juicy and fun. He's a thick, salty slice of ham, but he is, <laughs> But he's good. He's, I mean, I Jason, think he's, I think he's good. I he's, think he's the good. best in this movie. He he is, he, of all of his Kirk performances, he's, he's, there are some episodes where he's so. amazing, but in the, all of the, the six, seven, if you count generations, movies that he's in, he's the best in this one. Do you I guess know why? So. Uh, well, why? Nicholas Meyer. Oh, right. He didn't, he, right, 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 right. Because yeah. Nicholas Meyer. Shatner would be big and ha- I mean ham salad <laughs> over the top, and Nicholas Meyer was like, "Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again." He would do retakes on Shatner until Shatner got bored, and that's, and the, that's take the take he would, he would use. use. Oh, yeah, okay. so. some of them don't like you know the God, you bloodsucker. Like some, of, I don't know. It's just, well, of course that's, well, that's way because how are you going to get Shatner to calm down from that? Yeah. But the but my favorite line that's in it, which is when Shatner looks at looks at Khan and goes. Here it comes. You know, Uh it's nice. It's teeny tiny. It's small and subtle. Apparently the first like eight takes, he was like, here it comes. Like it was (laughs) completely showing his hand. And Nicholas Myers like, you you would never show him. You never say it that way yeah. because wow. you're showing that you're going to blast them. You know? well, we did have some really nice moments and they, which, which were just offset by some, you know, some crazy, ridiculous line readings as well, but yeah, but you remember them. You just remember you them. Oh, yeah. like, so uh, memorable, don't so iconic. Mince words. <laughs> and don't I remember basically words. when I see William Shatner, I think of our good friend Brian Costello. Oh, yeah. Love yes. Brian Costello. Yeah, great lover and and uh, great denouncer <laughs> of all things Shatner. <laughs> he loves him, but he'll he takes the piss out of him so much. I, I mean, well, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I basically when I think of Shatner, I think of Brian's impression of Shatner. Yeah. But I but I do think like I've seen Boston Legal and other things. I'm like, I mean, Shatner's funny and good. He's like, but he's he's he is. He's big. He's comic. He's over. He and I and he did. He had a Shakespearean, you know, career or, or has Shakespearean oh, yeah. experience. I could I could see him and not anymore. I mean, he's 90 or whatever, but he went to space. So maybe he could, you know, like a, a Falstaffian kind of, you know, he'd be yeah. fun. God, how do we know you'll keep your word? Well, I've given you no word to keep. In my judgment, you simply have no alternative. I see your point. 
Stand by to receive our transmission. Soon, lock the phasers on target and await my command. Phasers locked. Time's up. Here it comes. Now, Mr. Spock. I really like Nimoy. I, uh, okay, I, I, you know, the, the, the great little grace note, the little moment uh, at the end when he's dying is when he stands up and he tugs on the jacket. Oh, yeah. Tugs on his jacket God. to straighten the jacket before he He straightens dies. himself out so before good. walking. But I love how... But to, I, the mirror, I, or to the glass. The other thing I remember is everybody saying like, well, this is... Again, it's all the, the hype machines. It's like... Uh, uh, Nimoy wants out. He doesn't want to play Spock anymore. He wants out, and that's why they're right. killing him. And it, perhaps that he is do true. It unless they killed him. But the way they, so that may be true. But then when mm-hmm. you build in so clearly in retrospect, him going up to Bones and going up to McCoy <laughs> remember, and saying, "Remember, remember. yeah." Uh, there and then immediately a sequel goes into production. I mean, Star Trek Three. Right. These are big movies. Star Trek Three comes out two years to the day after mm-hmm. this, and with him as the director. I feel like it was all like, I'll work on Star Trek, but I want to direct, and I've not done it before, so I can't yep. be in it. So you got to get me. You got to clear the table. For I'll do your movie, and I'll mm-hmm. do some future movies maybe, but I want to be a director and I need my first time out of the gate. I can't be like in every other scene. And that, that is basically I, that's what I think what is happened. what it did, right? Is, Set the table is, for him to be the director of yeah. Star Trek three, right? Not before the remember thing was shot, was even put in and shot, but uh-huh. after soon after that, it, it, you know, when it was clear that we're going to bring Spock back, he was like, all right, I'm directing this. That and, was such a uh, question mark for me yeah. and my friends. I remember that was like up there with like, is Darth Vader Luke's father? Could we just all yeah. remember us talking about it, like, what does that mean? Yeah. What does yeah. that mean? Mm. What is the yeah. remember? Like why we, we were, I think I didn't remember. It, oh, no pun intended. No, no, no. I, no, but I think when I first saw it the Let first couple you. times. Remember. No, I, mean, I, I don't think I clocked it. Um, it's so when quick. I was a kid, you know, yeah, it is quick. until they were like, oh, they're making another one. Search for Spock. They're looking for it. And I, even then I mm-hmm. thought, well, that's a tease because we, Larry Nimoy is not coming back. You know what I mean? I remember right. so much that my context for the, my memories of the movie is so much about the publicity about it and the conversations about it and what was mm-hmm. on the news and what the fans were saying and what kids were saying, you know, so that's my experience of this early on. And then over the years, I've seen it many times. And, and uh, again, I've always loved this one, but most recently before this rewatch at the beginning of COVID, Kate and I, you know, you couldn't go to the movies, but there was, uh, uh, but drive-ins became all the rage again, you know, if there was Mm -hmm. an operating drive-in, you know, so when we were up at Hudson Valley and we went to, uh, there was this little drive-in up there that we went to a couple of times. And one night it was, um, the double feature was Galaxy Quest and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, fantastic. And we we were like, yeah, and they're both great movies and Mm -hmm. both great Star Trek movies, really. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, watching Wrath of Khan, we were like, and it was late. That one started at like almost midnight or 11 something, wow. you know, the second movie. And I was like, we're not going to make it. We're going to leave. And then we're like, God, it's so fucking good. And it's so nice it's so to have that experience of watching it on a screen again, even though you're in your car, you have distractions or whatever. But I mean, sitting and watching it on a big screen again was great. Maybe I'm ridiculous. I, I'm a fan of Shatner in this. Me and too, and in this, not ridiculous. And in the triptych. I like him in three yeah. and four as well. 
You know, I like um, him in all three. He's it, it's devastating when spoiler alert if you haven't seen three when when you know David uh, yes. is killed. It's de- watching I love those scenes too. Him gra- all that the revelations about his family and stuff. I, and the second Beautiful. one, that the scene which I've never really clocked until this rewatch mm-hmm. at the very end when his son comes and says. I'm proud of you. And then Shatner yes. hugs him. I cried this time watching it. And I don't think uh, that scene is ever really because that, it's post Spock's death. I didn't it, get that it's one. always you something need that, that scene to get you to the ending. You really do. You, you need, need that. it. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, uh, yeah, I wasn't as moved by that scene as I was hoping to be. I didn't, it didn't, yeah. Didn't feel earned to me for, for some reason. I was reason. a wreck for the last half hour of this. I, I, yeah. I cried like five times in the last <laughs> half hour, including during that scene. I don't know what it was about this rewatch. I hadn't seen the, you know, hadn't seen this in probably a, a year or something. So, you know, I, I watch it fairly frequently, but this one just got to my soul. Of my friend, I can only say this. of all the souls I have encountered in my travels. His was the most human. My favorite thing, the Genesis Project. I love when that they show that video. It's like the first CGI thing I can first remember CGI, seeing as a kid. Illustri- industrial Light and Magic did And that. I was, I always, I used to watch it as a kid. I was like, this is fucking so cool. Oh yeah. What is yeah. that? How did they do that? Like, I didn't understand, like, how yeah. <laughs> I knew nothing about it is the first computer animation CGI and stuff. sequence. Like, you can kind yeah, of, right? you know, we talked about practical effects and practical effects uh, in 1982, especially whether it's ET, whether it's yeah. the thing, you know, and this is the first turn towards computer effects is mm-hmm. this movie. It's so it's good. It's, yeah, it is. It, well I think it's together. so good. I still love watching it. Oh, mm-hmm. here's a Smart. neat piece of trivia. The guy who plays um, Joach- Joachim. Uh, who is Khan's right hand? Yeah, I was wondering yeah. who. Where do I know that guy from? He was on. Um, he was on uh, uh, some s- various series in the eighties. Yeah, you, you would definitely have recognized. He seemed like him a ubiquitous from, uh, face back then. Yeah, he's he's an actor named Judson Scott. Okay, <laughs> he wanted to be credited along with you know maybe Kirstie Alley, Paul Winfield, mm-hmm. some of the some of the second tier sort of stars. At the at the top of the movie, and they were like, "No, no, you're going to be sort of lumped in, you know, <laughs> towards the end of the credits before, you know, before we say and starring Carter Montalban or whatever." Right. And he and his agents were like, "We don't want that. We should be with, you know, Merrick Buttrick and BB. Be- you know, he wanted to be not yeah. he wanted his own title card, I think, with his uh-huh. own name." And they're like, "You ain't getting that." So he was like, "All right." Well, his agents, I guess, were like, "Well, don't, don't, you know." Um, don't put me in the beginning at all. Then I don't want to share a title card with somebody else. So instead they didn't credit him at all. <laughs> He's not credited in the end either. <gasps> Nowhere in the movie beginning or end credits. Does it say Joachim Judson oh, Scott? Oh my he, God. And that's a mistake. You know, he want, he, he didn't want to be totally uncredited. <laughs> He's a big part. Yeah. He's yeah. a big part and he's good. And he's really good. He didn't want yeah. to be totally uncredited, <laughs> uncredited. You know, he just oh. didn't want his own, you know, he wanted to be credited a little more prominently at the uh, top that's of the a, movie. That's what Talk you about get. a nebula penetration. Do. He just got, he got <laughs> fucked royally there. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he did. So very interesting. But, How many uh, savics? I like him. Oh. oh. That's what we call Sheila's in the Star Trek universe. I have to do 9.5. I got to go 9.5 on this. 
I love it so see, much. You are, see, this is why the, the half Hollow Hills high school kids, they're right. You're, you are very... You are very stingy with the tens because I if I ever I thought you were going to throw a ten at, yeah. the, at a it's movie, it's not Goodfellas. It's not Caddyshack. It's not a masterpiece well, see, that's of the cinema way you, like Caddyshack. Uh, you see, that's the way you. Yeah, you're crazy. But I mean, <laughs> it is Caddyshack is a masterpiece. But but, but I'm, I'm but saying like there's a Caddyshack and Goodfellas and the, nothing else will compare. Um, Listen, if 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 you know, I'm going nine point two five. If Wang and Porterhouse <laughs> and Doctor Beeper were on the Enterprise. And, and Spalding, maybe you've got a 10. I'm going to go, I'll give this one a uh, nine. You'll get Romulan ale and you'll like it. <laughs> How about a photon? <laughs> <laughs> Send many boys your age to the Kobayashi Maru. You want to do it? Like I, I owed, owed it to them. them. Owed it to them. <laughs> 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 That's very good. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Opening Weekend. Next time, we return to the year 1997 and a pair of films celebrating their 25th anniversary, the Julia Roberts rom-com, My Best Friend's Wedding, and the disastrous Joel Schumacher sequel, Batman and Robin, starring George Clooney as the Cape Crusader and Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. That's that's next time on opening weekend. What's coming through now, Dan? (laughs) I think we got to take it all the way back to the original (laughs) theme from Hanky Panky. (laughs) Alexander Courage theme. From Yay. the original Star Trek. Oh, you've been the waiting. James Horner stuff is great. We got to go old. You've been waiting 77 episodes oh my God, to play this. Okay. Me tune up. Okay. Weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. It's coming through now, Tom.